Harmonious Clan Podcast, Sensory Processing Disorder Demystified Series, Episode 2. When you come to those melting down moments, those are the moments that their cup is not full. And I wouldn't even say that their cup is empty. It does not take an empty cup for your child to go into a meltdown mode. When your child's chaotic behaviors are running your life, when you're struggling to find practical solutions, and just when you feel you've reached the end of your rope, there comes Harmonious Clan Podcast, equipping you with the proven practical strategies we've developed over the years through our own experiences to bring you strategies that give you results, enabling you to nurture your child from outcast to outstanding and your clan from chaos to harmony. My name is Louisa Kasha, and today I'm continuing on what we were talking about last time, having to do with sensory processing disorder. Last time I had shared with you what sensory processing disorder is. It was really just demystified because it's just a term that many, many uh, people talk about, but it's very hard to explain it in a concrete way. And today I'm talking about um, what to do about it. So again, just a brief catch up and recap on what it is. It's your, your body's lack of maturity and ability to process sensory information the same way most average people do. So for example, if um, some people can talk together, I mean, if you and I can talk in a coffee shop and we can focus on each other's conversation, regardless of the amount of noises, the coffee beans grinding and uh, people walking around, other conversations on the other table, if we can uh, just filter through all that and still hear each other's conversation and be focused with each other. Um, we, that, that's, that's an example of how the difference between somebody who has sensory processing disorder, especially in the auditory area compared to somebody who doesn't. So in that case, somebody who doesn't have the ability to filter that out, somebody who has sensory processing disorder in the auditory area would have problem focusing on that conversation. Um, the person would not be able to focus because um, it is too difficult for them to filter out the background noises, including the people walking in and out of the door. I mean, to the degree the to the degree of the air conditioner coming on, going off, or somebody is turning on the tap water in the restroom, which is very far across the room in a different room. I mean, those things, it's like, it, it's not a hearing problem. Children with sensory, dis uh, sensory processing disorder, especially in the auditory processing area. I mean, they don't have a hearing problem, but they have a auditory processing problem, meaning it is what comes into the ear that it is about the processing of what comes into the ear that makes it difficult for them to screen through and be able to prioritize what's important what's not important. So again, a, a more recap is there are seven different areas of sensory processing, which will impact your children heavily in terms of their daily function. So the gist of it is when you look at behaviors, um, somebody who can't focus, somebody who is easily agitated, children who have a lot of meltdowns and tantrums and 
Um, just, just you're feeling like you're walking on eggshell, parenting them all day long. I mean, those are are very big signs for having sensory processing disorder. And in my last in my last session, I talked about just what it, what does it feel like to walk a mile in their shoes, and what are they feeling, which hopefully has helped you understand a lot better of how they're feeling, and therefore why are they acting that way. Well, today I'm going to talk about what you need to do about it. So definitely you need to address the sensory processing. And it is something that is definitely fixable. There are short-term fixes and there are also long-term solutions that can help you um, help your child develop the threshold and grow a little more mature in those neurological areas. The first one I want to talk about is a proprioceptive. Like I said, there are seven different areas of sensory processing, meaning there are seven different senses that we all um, should be able to process in order to interact with our environments and respond to our environments appropriately. So the first area is proprioceptive. That's a pretty big word, but it really just means body awareness. It means your brain being inside of, inside of your brain, you being aware of the different um, body parts and the different, just being aware of your different body parts and where they are. That's one thing. Uh, number two is vestibular, which has to do with the movement, um, has something to do with the inner ear and your movements. And the third area is tactile. That has to do with touch. So children who have problems with that area will not be able to, um, to easily get into clothing or even shower. Uh, grooming is so difficult because it's just the feeling, the feeling on their skin is something they cannot deal with. Um, even picky eaters have tactile problems. The fourth area is auditory, which I just gave you an example of. Children who have trouble in those areas have difficulties processing auditory information that comes through the ear, which includes not taking instructions very well. So, you know, again, coming down to behaviors, well, he's not listening to me. He's not doing what I'm saying. He's not doing his, he has hard time following instructions. Sometimes it can be read, easily read as a defiance or as just not being obedient as a discipline issue. But many times in reality is whatever it is that your request is, did not make it all the way into the part of the brain that needs to be made in. And it, if it did make it in, it didn't make it in in the right way such that they can execute on it with their actions. So that's one of the big problems. Um, there's visual processing, which is another thing if those kids, I mean, many of them had 20-20 vision. It has nothing to do with what they can or cannot see. It is about what they do with the information that comes through their eyes. The same way having to do with the auditory. Um, second to the last is taste and the very last one being smell. So these seven areas can heavily impact your children's life. You need to address it one area at a time. The very first area you would need to address is proprioceptive, having to do with body awareness. That is a very big one. And I, um, I realize, I noticed that most children that do have sensory processing disorder have the proprioceptive input 
problem. What that means is your brain is constantly sending out information to each part of your joints saying, okay, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I mean, it's every single part of your joints because your brain needs that feedback back to get the body awareness. It's like situational awareness data. Well, your brain isn't, for children who have sensory processing disorder, especially lacking or in the areas of proprioceptive maturity, they would be the children that really have, their their brains are not receiving that data back. So what you need to do is you need to be giving them that extra input in order for enough of it to hopefully make it to the brain that the brain will stop bothering each part of their bodies about where they are. Um, I think that's kind of the easiest way I can put it into an analogy uh, for us to kind of try to grasp that concept of what is going on there. So children who have a sensory processing disorder in the area of proprioceptive, which is majority of the children with sensory processing disorder, they would, some of the symptoms are, they would act very rambunctious. They appear to be just rude and wild. And I mean, they're, they're often knocking kids off the playground and they're often being, appearing to be really aggressive, hitting and doing that sort of thing, kicking with their body. But in reality, a lot of times it's because their body isn't getting the input. So for for me, for example, if you say tap on my shoulder, I tap on your shoulder. Okay, so that's my tap, right? But for them, tap on your shoulder, they may be smacking your shoulder, not realizing just how much pressure they're actually putting on. So that is a part of the input they're not receiving. So the body is tapping pretty hard, but they don't feel that it it is. or it could be the other way around. I mean, with any sensitivity, with any stimuli, they're now overstimulated quite easily. But most of the kids in this area are understimulated. Most of the kids in this area, they're not receiving enough of. So there are plenty of exercises, specifically um, a lot of strategies that I mentioned here in my book, Outcast Outstanding, that talk specifically about the details of how you implement it and what you can do. But the gist of it is you need to give them, feed them with a proprioceptive input. That would be anything having to do with compressing the joints. So exercises having to do with compressing the joints, such as trampling and a whole host of activities you can do um, that would give them that input. So you need to keep your cup full all day. So you can't say, okay, well, let's do a little bit of this and then expect them to be okay. They may be okay briefly, but the, the when you come to those melting down moments, those are the moments that their cup is not full. And I wouldn't even say that their cup is empty. It does not take an empty cup for a child to go into a meltdown mode. So my, whereas many of the occupational therapists in the field may put a child on a sensory diet, which is a host of activities that they would do all throughout the day in order to give them the sensory input that they're not receiving. I look at it differently, which is kind of a, you know, the implementation ends up being quite similar, quite the same. But the analogy that I give is you really got to look at a child and you got to be able to see his cup, his cup representing, I mean, how full or how empty being representing how much sensory stimulation, how much sensory input is he getting? for that day. So usually when a child is in a meltdown, screaming, can't, cannot for the life of him or her pull, pull it together, they're usually in a state where 
their cup is quite empty. And the child with a cup not quite full will also appear very agitated. They're also very agitated. They just don't have the patience. It just seems like they're so anxious. So another sign that people see is anxiety. And they'll say, well, they have a lot of anxiety. Well, how much of that anxiety is psychological? And how much of that anxiety is actually physiological in terms of, um, well, there's the brain chemistry portion of it, which you will want to see a psychiatrist for, but there's also the sensory portion of it that could attribute to the anxiety that we see in some children. And a lot of anxiety-induced behaviors, like biting teeth, I mean, bite, biting their nails or rocking around and um, spinning around or fidgeting or just appearing very nervous to you or appearing that they're bouncing off the wall and they can't calm down. I mean, those are all very good signs that their cup is not in the right place. I mean, their cup could be either overflow, which it cannot be. That's when they're melting down again because they're overstimulated or their cup is um, not quite full. So my suggestion is that you really need to keep a good gauge on your child. You need to keep the cup full. So sometimes you say, well, we're not doing those. We're doing those activities. We're, we're doing those exercises. But now he's looking, he's acting like this. He's melting down. He can't pull himself together and he's having issues. He's not patient. He's not calm. Well, let's, you know, you need to look at it. Um, if you had just filled the cup, but if the cup is quite empty and you have just filled it, filled it, well, the cup is still quite empty, you know? So it doesn't matter that you have just filled it. Maybe it's not enough. It, it, so it all has to do with a good gauge on where the child is. And it requires a lot of trial and error on your part to be gauging and finding that sweet spot for just really how much do they need it in their cup to get through their day and function okay. And then how much can I give it in their cup in order for them to opti uh, to be at their optimum performance, for them to be happy, cheerful, and not so um, fragile, you know, fra you know what I mean by fragile, you know, they, they melt down, they break down, they, they're trying to do this, their mechanical pencil, the lead won't come out. And now they, now it's, it's done. They're done. They're through, they're screaming, they're yelling all from a very tiny little thing. So those are all signs of not having enough input. So proprioception is just only one part of it, uh, but there's also vestibular, which having to do with movements and the exercises that have to do with that usually involve swinging. There's a lot of exercises that can give you both the swinging, which is uh, the movement, the vestibular portion of it, and the proprioceptive at the same time, which is perfect because you hit two birds with one stone, and majority of the children with sensory processing issues do have the biggest problem in proprioceptive and vestibular. Now, another thing about what you need to tackle, if your child have visual processing, auditory processing, they have tactile issues, you can work on those issues, but what you really wanna make sure you do is you get the vestibular and you get the proprioceptive as the very first priority, because that can mess everything up. Why is it so important? Think about it. 
if your body is, if your brain is never getting the situational awareness data, the body awareness data back into your brain. So your brain is constantly sending messages to all of your joints asking, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Now I'm giving a very simple analogy for what's going on, but that I think that's the easiest way to understand it. Then now all of a sudden, can you really focus on anything you're doing? No. So when you talk about behaviors, that whole attentiveness, not being there, the fidgeting, can't focus, can't get good grades. I mean, look at the sources, right? Could it be the, I mean, a large part of it is they're not concentrated. So a lot of people jump into ADHD medication very quickly because, you know, in the ADHD diagnosis, a lot of it is just based on um, observation and feedback. And so if somebody's observing, uh, is showing behaviors where they cannot focus, cannot concentrate, and they try many things and it doesn't work, you know, there's usually a pretty, a, a point where both the doctors and the parents and the teachers will come to the conclusion that we need some ADHD meds. Now, to me, you know, all of many of our kids were on meds pretty heavily starting from age two. But at this point, none of them are. And we quickly got them off of all of that by using all of the strategies that I'm sharing with you, because you need to get to the root cause. You don't really want to jump to drugs too quickly. Um, I mean, sometimes that still is needed, but there's a whole lot you can do before you need to come to that conclusion. And there are moments, there, there is a time and a place when the drug really needs to come in to help a little bit. But the things that I'm sharing with you right now, the proprioceptive, I mean, that is one of the things that if you can hit it just right, if you can find that sweet spot having to do with how much your child needs in the cup, when, where, what type, it will hugely, in, I mean, it will hugely impact whether or not your child is going to need the medication or not. Another thing is, another simple way to look at it is, I mean, sometimes I I used to have a dog, um, a chocolate lab, and we had to go run him at the time we lived by the coast in California. We had to go run him every day. And some days running on the, on the road, on the basketball court or, or wherever on the dirt is, or in the hikes, it's simply not enough. I mean, many times we had to take him to the beach and have him run against the waves to go fetch very far away and swim against the resistance of the water and then come back. And that sort of of running for him in two hours is quite different from running him on the street for two hours or running him on the on the dirt road for two hours because you're adding a lot more resistance with the water he's swimming up against the wave and then he's having to you know remain him remain his body in place and then come back swimming up against the the current of whatever the water resistant again so that was pretty hard. Now that actually is proprioceptive exercise. So every time we would take our dog to the beach, he would come back a lot more calmer than he did when we take him just to the road for a little hike, you know? So for the same duration of time, of course. So you really need to get not only the time spent, and the intensity needs to be right, the type of exercise needs to be right, the type of activity, the timing, and get your cup when uh, when he needs to be filled. You're always gonna keep it full. You're never gonna let it drain. Sounds like I'm equating the dog to a child, but 
it actually feels very much the same. So I'm using the same analogy again for you to get that understanding of how that puppy just couldn't for the life of him come home and just chill out until he has had his share of what I call proprioceptive input. And so same with a lot of our children. When we look at them and they can't sit down, that is the reason and and that's what we need to do. We need to feed their cup. We need to give them the proprioceptive input. We also need to give them the vestibular input. Now talking about vestibular, it's having to do with the movement. If your child has trouble falling asleep, um, the best thing you can do is put them on the swing for I don't know, for depending on the child, but if you put them on the swing for 15 minutes or two times a day or so, you will start seeing some differences because there's something about that movement that calms a child down. Same reason why for infants, when we try to put them to sleep, we rock them. We swing them. So it's that back and forth motion with, with you going this way. It's that back and forth motion that's really calming and soothing. Now, try to imagine the child who is missing that vestibular input. You know, it would be like an infant, a brand new newborn, which I just had one. It's that that newborn couldn't just sit still. I mean, I'm constantly doing this. I'm constantly doing this. And 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 the the magic of that motion is is miraculous. I mean, it's it's like it calms them down right away. Well, this is a funny thing, though. I was at the pediatrician's office, and the doctor was checking um, um, our newest child. And she was, what, one month at the time or even less, maybe two weeks old. So the doctor was checking on her, and she was starting to cry and scream. She was getting upset. Um, she was actually lying on the exam on the examining table. And I, by myself, started doing this. And all of a sudden, I caught myself because I realized, wait, what am I doing this for? I don't even have the infant on me. But you see, I have gotten so accustomed to doing this to calm a child, an infant down. And I just want you to keep that in mind. When you have a child who's really fussy, even if he's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I mean, think about it. Could vestibular input be what he's missing? If you think about it, the, the case of an infant is really an exaggeration. But I tell you, if I had the child in my hand, just a few of these would have calmed it down, right? So that has to do with the vestibular input that the child is needing. Now, in terms of the tactile, the tactile having to do with the sensitivity at, on your hands, sensitivity on your skin, which also relates to sensitivity in orally. So children who have tactile issues will have issues, will have issues with their clothing. They would, um, some kids just can't deal with a certain piece of clothing. Some kids can't deal with wearing socks at all. I mean, there's a large majority of the kids that cannot wear socks because why? The seam just doesn't feel right and they can't even articulate it so well when they're young. I mean, they're just fussing and screaming when they're three and two and you try to put socks on them. But this is what's going on. It, their, their, their sensitivity is, is so high and their threshold is so low that they cannot tolerate the least amount of stimulation. Now, what you need to do in those cases when it's an overstimulating issue, they, they just can't deal with the stimulation. They cannot modulate it and process it. So it's more like this and they can function and they can feel, Oh, yeah, this is rough. This is smooth. This is this texture. That's a different kind of texture. I mean, that's 
that's our experience. For them, I mean, something smooth, something rough. I mean, they go up the spike, and they they're they're thrown off and they can't function anymore. So in the long run, we need to stretch their threshold, meaning that we need to stretch the threshold of how much stimuli they're able to have come through it. Without breaking apart, so if their threshold is this big, and your average stimuli stimuli of a I don't know、um, of a person's talking or a person's footstep or even even of the seam of your T-shirts right here on the shoulder where they come together, if the stimuli is about this big,、uh, which is nothing for us, you know, we put on our T-shirt, we don't. I mean, we, we're not feeling like it hurts, but for them, it really feels like it hurts, and if their Threshold is only this big. I mean, it just can't come through. So that's how their system ends up breaking down, and they're whining, they're crying, and they're just so unhappy and miserable. And they're equally miserable when they're not getting the the stimuli that they need. If the threshold is this much, I mean, and in each of the seven different areas, you could be talking about some areas they're getting too much. In the case of the seams for the socks, I mean the seams on your clothing,、uh, or even chewing broccoli. I mean, they they may be just way too much stimuli for them to go through their very small channel or threshold. But in some other cases, I mean, their threshold is like this, and they're getting nothing in. Again, it's not that they're not hearing it; it's not that they can't feel it, but it's the processing. It's the processing. It's how the brain interprets what's coming in, and if the brain isn't interpreting it, interpreting it properly, it is perceived as if it's not coming in, or it's perceived as if it's coming in with that much more than it actually is. In either case, the child has a breakdown. The child has a meltdown, and those are those. Antecedents to the behaviors that we often talk about. You know, he just started doing this. He just started melting down. He just started getting really upset. He just can't deal with those situations. Let's look at what's under the waterline, and let's look at what could, in sensory wise, really be bothering them. So you're gonna want to look at each of these sensory issues and address them one at a time. You need to gauge on whether or not the stimuli is too much or is it too little. There are children who's always biting their nails, who's got pencil, you know, the tip of the pencil in their nails. I mean, they got stuff that, well, not in their nails, they got stuff in their mouth all the time. <clears throat> their hand, it is whatever they can put their mouth onto,、um, is in their mouth. Now, that's pretty obvious that they're missing the tactile stimuli inside of their mouth. So you're gonna want to be able to provide the the stimuli that they're looking for in order to gain satisfaction. So once they're satisfied, their brain isn't constantly out there looking for the input. And if their brain isn't constantly out there looking for the input, they can calm down a little bit, right? Now they can actually sit back. And focus on the important things, such as attending to your instruction, or packing up their backpack, or maybe doing their homework or reading. I mean, whatever it is that requires their attention, then they cannot put it on. Will actually end up getting of of more priority and far more. Attention wants to address all of these so-called distractions that is in, internally to them, but none of us can see it.
All we see is the behavior of Cam Focus, not packing his backpack, going all over the place, uh, running like a chicken with no head. I mean, a, a lot of executive functionings. When you talk about executive functioning, they just can't get it together. I mean, think about how much distraction could be happening internally in the brain as a result of poor sensory processing. Probably a lot. So today, again, just to wrap it up, we're talking about last time. If you if you missed it, go and download the other um, episodes of sensory processing demystified. What it is, what what does what does it really mean, and how does it impact your child? And today we talked about what you need to do um, and some things on addressing these sensory processing difficulties, such that your child can function through the daily lies much more smoothly, um, perform much higher, better, and be a more happier, uh, well, and be a happier child. See you again. You've been listening to Harmonious Clan Podcast with Marco and Louisa. Learn more about Harmonious Clan at www.harmoniousclan.com. For information on resources, including books, educational podcasts, a supportive community, courses, and one-on-one consulting, Harmonious Clan, enabling you to nurture your child from outcast to outstanding, and your clan from chaos to harmony.